Welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, let us come into your living rooms, focus our attention upon what God has to say as we continue our series in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, talking about the seven churches of Asia Minor, when Jesus comes to church. Today, our focus is on Sardis. Let's look at the passage of Scripture in uh, Revelation 3, verses 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. He who ever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us to come and to focus upon your word. And I pray that you would give us insights through the power of your Spirit that we would have ears to hear, not just the words, but from the heart the lessons from this church in Sardis and to the believers there and for each one of us as well as our church. So speak to us, God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I read about a gentleman by the name of Hiro Anaider. He was a Japanese soldier at the end of World War II, uh, fought with his group in guerrilla warfare and intelligence in the Philippine Islands. In particular, we find that when the war was over, he didn't believe it. He continued to fight for the Japanese for 29 years. During that time, even though there were leaflets that were uh, uh, sent over the mountains where he was, he continued to believe that they were not correct, they were fakes, they were trickery. Until the time came when his commanding officer, long out of the military, came and relieved him of his duty in 1974. 29 years of living in the mountains, continuing his guerrilla warfare, burning rice fields. Well, he also killed 30 Filipinos, injured over 100 during those 29 years, all because he didn't know, he didn't believe that the war was over. How tragic. Imagine for a moment being very busy with activity and organization and ministry that, that was expelling so much of your energy only to be told everything that you have done is dead, worthless, non-existent. That's exactly what Jesus said to the church at Sardis. The message that he communicates is universal. The question is, what does it mean to us individually and us as a church? Sardis historically was a city of wealth and fame. It was here that they say gold and silver coins were first struck. They claimed to be the first to discover the art of dyeing wool. 
In the 6th century BC, Sardis was one of the most powerful cities of the ancient world. It was located some 50 miles east of Ephesus, right on the northern spur of Mount Molus. It set 1,500 feet above the valley below it. Those rocks were perpendicular. In other words, it was a natural fortress. It was impenetrable, inaccessible. It was a natural place for people to feel safe. But even with its naturally fortified position, two times in Sardis's history, they fail. First to Cyrus and the Persians in 545 B.C., and then later to the Syrian king Antiochus the Great in 216 B.C. At the time of John's writing, Sardis was under the Roman control. They had declined pathetically. It lived as a city in the pride of the past, looking at what they used to be. Unfortunately, the church at Sardis reflected the city. We find that the scripture tells us, as Jesus came to that church and spoke to them, that there were no internal problems at Sardis. He said, I know your deeds, you have a reputation. It seemed like all of the people were getting along together. That always is a great sign at a church, right? They were working and keeping the organization and the ministries going. They had a reputation from the outside that everything was okay. You looked at it and everything seemed fine. looked like they were all pulling together in the same direction. Also, we find that there was no opposition to hold them back. The church apparently was untroubled by heresy from within or from trouble from outside of the church in the realm of opposition. There was no Jezebel to lead them astray like in Thyatira. There were no Nicolaitans to corrupt them into immorality like many of the churches were dealing with in Asia Minor. There were no Balaamites to subvert them like in Pergamum. Satan seemed to have not been bothering the church at Sardis at all. Obviously, that would bring a red flag. The indication is that the church at Sardis had so completely come to terms with its pagan, secular environment that although it retained an outward appearance of everything being fine, they themselves seemed spiritually dead. They didn't even have a concern that they were more like the outside and comfortable with their environment in its pagan beliefs. That says something. Because Jesus had nothing good to say about Sardis. You remember that of Ephesus, Jesus said, I like your deeds. I like your doctrinal soundness. Of the church at Smyrna, he said, I love your patience. Of Pergamum, he said, I'm proud of your loyalty. Of Thyatira, they said, he said, I like your faith, your love, your service, your progressiveness. For Sarda, there was no condemnation. And there was no commendation. It's kind of like a reporter that goes to a suspect and said, Sir, here's the question. Could you give us an answer? And the person comes back and says, I have no comment. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying at Sardis, there's no condemnation. There's, there's no comment on my part about anything that you're doing that is good. 
In a few words, Jesus voiced a tremendous complaint. In this church, there was plenty of outward activity, but no inner spirituality. There was no doubt the organization and the ministries, they were perfected. They were running smoothly. Everything seemed to be going fine. Probably every single committee had a, had a chairperson. They were meeting. They were planning. They were doing things. The, the, the finances were there to accomplish it like a well-oiled machine. An outsider looking in to see this church, it looked ideal from the outside. But there on the inside was no life, no real vitality in the church. They were going through the motions Someone has said that there are few things that are better organized than graveyards, but there is little life there. A church can be the same way, and this church at Sardis seems to have been that way. Well organized, but there was little life. They had a reputation. The reputation was that they lived, but the one with perfect knowledge said, You are dead. Jesus said, I know your works. You have the name of being alive, the reputation, but you're dead. Can you imagine the church at Sardis hearing that from Jesus? The scathing indictment indicates that the members themselves were self-deceived into thinking that they were spiritually mature. They had their studies They'd been believers for a good while. They were active in the work. But somehow their maturity was not in vogue. Perhaps they demonstrated a great deal of activity which amounted basically to plain church. They came together to fellowship, more like a country club. They came together to go about and fulfill their responsibilities that can be done by any secular organization in the world. But a common symptom of spiritual deadness is the persons involved do not know that they even have a problem. On the outside, and as they look at it, everything seems fine. We see that in John chapter 9, verses 40 and 41 with the Pharisees. The Scripture says, Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Here are the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day. They came to the place and said, what? You're telling us that we are spiritually dead? Jesus is communicating that to them. They were religious, but far from God. We see also in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, that Jesus makes a very stark revelation in his sermon. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of him who is my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, I did, did not we prophesy in your name? and drive out demons in your name, and perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. Who in the world would ever think that somebody that would prophesy, somebody that would cast out demons, someone who would be able to work miracles, 
would come before Jesus and Jesus would say, I don't know you, leave. They're doing the work of God. They didn't know him. The church at Sardis and churches all over our country, they're busy doing the work. But you have to do a self-check to find out, do we really know the one that we're doing it for? It's not plain church. The problem is so many don't even realize it. I like the way that Peterson translates verse 1. Jesus says, I see right through your works. You have a reputation for vigor and zest, but you're dead, stone dead. How horrible for Jesus to look down and find nothing to commend this church. And yet, Sardis was very active, very engaged in the realm of activity, and outwardly, they looked wonderful. Sardis had the name of being alive, but was dead. That's what Jesus said. We find that they met regularly, but they didn't worship Listen, if the message doesn't come from the heart of the preacher, it cannot reach the heart of the people. If there's no drive and urgency, there is no power within the body. Beautiful words and flowery sentences are not enough. If the singing is simply an expression of pleasant feelings, there's no worship in it. If the singer doesn't feel the message of the song, no one will. If the prayer are just words spoken out of a sense of duty, it is not prayer. If there's no hunger cry from the heart and for the heart of God, there is no worship. It's just people meeting together and fellowshipping together. They had functioning organizations, but they were powerless. They had their scripture studies. They had their small groups going into the scriptures, the scrolls that they had, and they would study those. But listen, a teacher may teach a lesson to perfection, but unless there is love and hunger and heart for the pupils, there is no application to life because they will know it. Leaders in various church ministries might train and meet and plan and talk and envision, but if there's no stirring action by the presence and the power of God through His Spirit, it will end in failure, burnout, defeat, and frustration. A church can have something going on seven days a week and still be dead. Stone dead. That's what Jesus said to the church at Sardis. Well, preacher, listen, we, we know what happened at Sardis, but we're not that way. Not us. Are you sure? Because the church in America is not making a difference in this country. We have gone far from making a difference. Sardis was dead and didn't even know it. In spite of the reputation of being active, Sardis was infected with sin. Its deeds were evil. Its clothes were soiled. The Spirit has no words of commendation for this church that looked so good from the outside, but so, was so corrupt 
and indifferent on the inside. It was like a whitewashed tomb. It looked good, but there was nothing of spiritual substance inside. Jesus' counsel to Sardis was kind, but it was straight. In verse 2, he says, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Other versions say they are unfinished in the sight of God. It gives a glimmer of hope, but it also gives direction on what has to happen to bring a revitalization. The term wake up that he uses in verse 2 is best translated, show yourself watchful or be watching, stay alert. The exhortation to be watching carried a special meaning to the church at Sardis because twice in the city's history they had fallen to an enemy because of a lack of vigilance on the part of the defenders. I mentioned in 545 B.C. and in 216 B.C., both of those times there was a soldier from the outside that climbed masterfully up the perpendicular walls that 1,500 feet to go up, find a weak spot in the city, come in, unlock the gates so the enemies could come in, all because nobody was watching. Nobody was alert. They were all sleeping and easy to take over. That can happen in a church, you know. And we can be so active and feeling everything is just fine. And Satan has his who just quietly come and began to create difficulties. And the problem is that we're asleep. He says, be watchful. As in history, so is in life. To consider oneself secure and to fail to remain vigilant is to covet disaster. You're just waiting, waiting for it if you're not alert, if you're not staying spiritually sensitive and attuned. Jesus says to the church, be watchful. Not just keep your eyes open, but keep busy, active, listening to the Spirit of the Lord, and be involved in His service, His presence, and His power, but fully engaged through the power of the Spirit, not just going through meaningless repetition. So Jesus tells them three things. First, He says, remember. In verse 3, He says, remember what you have received and heard. He says, stop, look back, consider what has gone on. Remember your history. If you do not watch, the same fate is going to happen to the church at Sardis that happened to the city before. The church at Sardis was urged to obey the Christian truth they first heard, to go back to the fruit of the gospel when they first accepted Christ, the teachings of discipleship and the power of the Spirit of God, to get back to the basics of the faith. It is important to, to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to deepen our understanding through careful study. But no matter how much we learn, we must never abandon the basic truths of Jesus, that He came through the Incarnation. He was sinless. He is the Son of God. He bore the sins of all of us by His sacrifice on the cross at Calvary. 
he was buried, he was resurrected, he ascended to heaven, and one of these days he's coming back. Those are the things that we have to understand. And sometimes we can get so busy in life and so busy in church, those very basic truths are no longer what drives us. And he says, I want you to come back. Because listen, Jesus will always be the Son of God. His sacrifice for our sins is permanent. There is no new truth from God that will ever contradict these biblical teachings. And if they do, do not tolerate them. So he tells them, remember where you've been. Secondly, he tells them to repent in verse 3. He says, obey it and repent. That word repent means to turn. It's to have a radical change of mind resulting in a godly lifestyle filled with the Spirit of God. Like the church, churches of Ephesus, Pergamum, and Laodicea, their lifelessness, Jesus said, turn from it. Repent while there's still time. There we go again. The clock is ticking. Just like it was for Jezebel at the, at the church of Thyatira. He said, I, I had given her time to repent, but she was unwilling. He's telling the believers of the church at Sardis, I'm giving you time to repent, but the clock is ticking. If not... Jesus would come upon the church with judgment and destruction, he says, like a thief in the night. What interesting words that he uses because it reminds those who are members of the church at Sardis and members of the community, just like the soldiers who came like a thief in the night, crawling up that perpendicular 1,500 feet rock to get into the city and open the gates for the destruction to come. He says, you'll never know when I come, but you will know when I'm there. He says, repent, because the time is drawing, is drawing nigh. A third thing he says is to strengthen the things that remain. Here's this part of that hope. There is not complete sinfulness and rottenness. In verse 2 he says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. I, I love outdoor fires. And if you have, if you're distracted, you're doing other things, you have an outdoor fire, all of a sudden it just the fire kind of goes out and you just have those coals down there that are still hot. There's not much there. But you know, you come in and you begin to blow on those embers, and guess what? That fire kicks back up. What was about to die can come back unless it's completely dead. That's what he's saying here. Strengthen what remains but is about to die. Again, the clock is ticking. The church is admonished to get busy and establish things that remain. There were a few things at Sardis that were alive, but they would not be alive long unless there was prompt action was put into motion. The forms and the organization of the church, they were all in place. They were fine. But they needed to be filled with the power and the presence of God through His Holy Spirit. A Christian nor a church can prosper and grow on ritual or traditional focuses in itself. 
You can't just continue to flourish because it was done that way in the past. Jesus said, no work in the church was complete or unfinished in God's sight. They were good starters, but they were poor finishers. Much like the churches of Galatia who ran well for a while, but then they stopped. The believers at Sardis had established a name for themselves in the eyes of the community, but before God, before God, they didn't measure up. No, they had not really finished one thing that they had started. Have we finished what God has started with us? Listen, if a church ever needed revival, the church at Sardis needed it. To be revived, the church is admonished to remember, to repent, and to strengthen that which they still have. The curtain has not come down on it yet. There is still opportunity, but they've got to make the change. That's what Jesus said to the church at Sardis. He came with no commendation. He came saying, you think you're alive, the community thinks you're alive, but remember, I'm the one that knows and searches both the mind and the heart and the soul. And you're dead. But that can change. Last, we find Jesus' promise to the overcomers. Jesus commended those who were faithful as we reach the end of the passage. Despite the spiritual inadequacy of the church as a whole, Jesus said in verse 4, Yet, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Soiled garments is symbol, or symbolizes a soiled life, a sinful life. Paul uses the language of putting on and off the garments when he wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 24, Put off the old nature, put on the new nature. The idea is taking something off, putting something on. Here, what we find is Jesus said, listen, these people have not soiled their, their garments, and they are going to be able to walk with me in white, for they're worthy. That idea of white garments is clearly symbolizing righteousness and victory, being victorious. He said, listen, I promise to the overcomer that you are going to walk with me here and in eternity with an idea of righteousness and victory. You are an overcomer. You've not followed the crowd in the church. Your heart is firm. He promised three things to the overcomer. First, the overcomer is to be arrayed in these white garments. In other words, he will be presented an attire appropriate to the heavenly state, that which is beautiful. Since the believer is made white by the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ, this statement portrays justification. They have been justified. He says, if you've overcome, you have a relationship with me, I will give you that white garment, which basically means you are set for heaven and you are justified. Secondly, the overcomer's name will not be blotted out of the book of life. It is a statement of complete assurance of salvation. We call it the security of the believer, that once you've genuinely given your life to Jesus Christ, he's radically changed you. Your name's written down in that Lamb's Book of Life. It will never, ever be blotted out. 
That has Old Testament illusions. It also has New Testament understanding. There is that book of life. And your name, once you've genuinely given your life to Christ, is written in that book, and it cannot be blotted out, erased, or eliminated. And so he says to the overcomer, your name's there, and it will always be there. Third, Christ will confess the newcomer's name before God and his angels. The statement that he says reminds me of the promise that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, when he says that I will confess you before my Father in heaven, every one of you who confesses me before men. If you stayed firm and you have lived the Christian life and you have shown your faithfulness to Christ, not just religion, but that personal relationship, then I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And he says here to those at Sardis, those few names I promise you, I will confess you before my Father. You will be my brother, my joint heir. There's nothing better. Three promises that Jesus gives to those in Sardis who were overcomers and to each of us who continue to be overcomers, faithful to the conclusion of our lives and ministry. That's what he desires. Listen, we've got to be the light in a darkened world. And that's what these few names that he mentions there at Sardis were doing. Everybody else looked at the church as a whole, it's all looking good, but they had soiled garments. They were living one way, active in their church, but they were living something different elsewhere. Otherwise, there wouldn't be the illusion to soiled garments. But he said, there's a few of you that you haven't soiled your garments. You're living for me. You are faithful. You are committed. And I have you and your back. And you'll be with me forever. Activity, ministries, organizations, business are all excellent, but without the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in them, they become nothing more than lifeless rituals. Reputation among men is good, but what does God think about you? What does he think about our church? This may be the perfect time for us to remember, to repent, and to strengthen that which we have left by humbly submitting ourselves to his power and to his presence. And I wonder this morning if you would submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and you would be an overcomer. It's a simple thing to do. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, this is the time to say, I want that. And I described it in this message. You just need to submit yourself to Christ. Ask him to come into your life and take your sins away, and he will come, and he will give you life everlasting. For the believers who are actively involved but may have lost a bit of that incredible love or the power of his spirit, don't just be busy. Don't just be busy doing work in the church. No, remember what you have in Christ. If there are things to repent of, then repent so that you're on fire for him. And then strengthen what he has given you and be all the more in tune with him to make a difference in this world as well as your own personal relationship with him. 
And that's the invitation I'm giving you today. Looking at the church at Sardis, we have to look in a mirror of ourselves. Where are we as individuals and also as a church? Are we actively engaged and involved, but do we know if we're spiritually dead? Do we need God's Spirit to be encouraged to come back into our life in a, in, in a powerful way, like blowing on those embers to start that fire back? Maybe each one of us, maybe we need a personal revival. Maybe we need a revival within the church so that we might be a bonfire of hope and light to this community. However God leads you this morning, you commit yourself in this time of invitation prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity and the time. We ask you to help us to make the decisions this morning that you desire us to make, that you've led us. And as we've talked about the church at Sardis, the concluding verse 6 has a word for each one of us. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And I pray that we're listening. And we don't just put it off to the side and say, well, that was the church of Sardis. They thought they were okay. Help us to really reflect and to ask the power of your Spirit to speak to us to see if there's anything in our personal lives or anything in our church life that needs to be adjusted, repented of, or strengthened so that we might be the people and the body of Christ that will make a difference in this world for your kingdom, God. So whatever decisions are made this morning, I pray, God, you would hear and they would be sincere. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.